December 2001. British businessman living in Los Angeles, Anthony Fox, disappears during a tenuous legal battle and his car is found hundreds of miles away. Anthony was never seen again. 20 years on, the whereabouts of Anthony Fox are still unknown, but his dealings with Hollywood stars and often eccentric life continue to perplex those looking into his case. Is Anthony Fox alive or dead? Primary sources for this episode include Radar Online, MEA Worldwide, The Doe Network, Grunge, Paul Barassi, The Charlie Project, and Ranker. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 125 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. Welcome to new patrons. Um, since I did the last episode, uh, Christine, I don't think I've given you your shout out yet. Simon and Valerie, so welcome on board. Now, I'm sorry in advance for this episode um, if my voice sounds a bit weird. I've still got quite a lot of swelling in my neck from surgery, which is normal. Um, and it's my voice has been okay, um, but it's taken a bit of a battering this week, uh, being back at work and talking and... Um, just like, you know, recovering from the knock to my vocal cords. So sometimes it sounds a bit uh, gravelly, but not like in like a sexy way. So I hope that you enjoyed my last episode, my interview with Jeff Dunsavage. Um, on that episode, I did tease that if you were listening closely, that there's a, um, I had an episode planned coming up. I thought it was going to be this week. Uh, that one is coming. I've set a date for it now with the person. We're just trying to figure out time differences and things like that, but it's something to look forward to um, if you caught that on that episode. Since I last recorded the last episode uh, a week ago, um, in news related to kind of the podcast and things like that, um, probably won't mean a whole lot to people outside of cricket cricketing countries. But um, Australia lost arguably like our most famous cricketer uh, a week ago, Shane Warne. He died at 52 um, while he was on holiday. Uh, he lives in my city, Melbourne. He's a really proud Melbourneian. Um, he died of a heart attack on Koh Samui, which we've kind of been to before. It's my favourite place in the world, um, if that's any consolation, which it's probably not, that it's just a beautiful peaceful, friendly, amazing place. Um, bit of a shock, you know, to people. He he had like a larger than life um, personality. He had a lot of uh, things written about him over the years. Uh, he, you know, he was unapologetically himself and authentic. Um, and yeah, I've just been thinking about his, his kids quite a lot this week. You know, you, you go on a holiday He'd been to Koh Samui um, a million times. He went with a few of his mates, rented out a beautiful villa, you know, probably thought he'd be gone for 10 days. And um, when he comes back, he's coming back, you know, in a casket. And it kind of hits home that life is, is pretty fragile um, and you shouldn't hold on to grudges. Or Shane Warne was always smiling, um, 
And I think, you know, people can learn a lot from that. People will always shit on people no matter what they do. There's two seconds, you know, rebound and they're saying horrible things about people, um, you know, when they die. So RIP Warnie. Um, so I am plugging away at Patreon location requests. I'm researching a bunch of them at the moment. It does take time, especially ones I have coming up that require a lot of work and you know, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I had surgery a month ago yesterday and I've released, you know, four or five episodes since then. So I think I've delivered on <laughs> my promise, but thankfully I feel a lot better and it's getting cooler here in Melbourne. Um, so I have a lot more energy. So um, for this week, I'm doing an episode of my own choosing. This is going to be a bit more of a relaxed episode in the sense that a few of the parts, I'm just going to wing it based on topics I know. So how I came onto Anthony Fox's case was a little over a week ago. I had never heard of this guy before. He was not on a list of cases to do, but I was going through the trashy Daily Mail app um, and there was an article about how the famous Viper Room nightclub in on Sunset Strip in Los Angeles um, has been bought out and after, you know, 100 years of being a nightclub almost, uh, will be knocked down very soon. Luxury condos are being built there, which is kind of the same thing everywhere, just history being removed. Although I think the Viper Room has been dead for quite a while. Um, and so I thought, oh, that's, you know, it's the end of an era. So I had a glance at the comments and someone had written on it, they never did figure out what happened to Anthony Fox, who co-owned that place. And so I looked it up immediately thinking he was just an American guy um, who'd gone missing. And looking into it from what I could find, which is scarce information, unfortunately, I realised pretty quickly that he was actually a British citizen. So I thought, yep, this is really timely and really interesting um, and... It involves quite a few famous names that you may know. So for this episode, we are going right to the heart of Hollywood Baby, a place where many people have had their dreams shattered. I have not personally been to LA. I had a return ticket for an amazing price that I bought in 20. 16, I was about six weeks out from going on my trip and I had a nervous breakdown um, and I didn't think it was a good time to go um, to LA. I was going to go on my own and meet some friends who live over there um, with the healthcare system, you know, insurance and things over there. I just didn't think it was, I wasn't in the right mindset uh, to be hanging around LA and getting around by myself. Uh, these days I regret it. I never got my ticket money back either because it was such a good deal. It was like, it was like $600 return from Melbourne to LA, <clears throat> which is such a good deal. Um, and yeah, it just, just didn't happen. One day though, because I have a lot of listeners in California and LA, probably the place that has the most. So shout out to you guys. Now, I will say up front that if you look into Anthony Fox and if you've heard of him, there is not a headline out there that does not name Johnny Depp in the headline. And Johnny Depp will come into this quite a lot. But the reason that I have an issue with that, I will get into. But I, I want people to kind of try to put Johnny Depp aside, which I think muddies the waters a lot when people talk about this, looking at um, different Twitter threads and things like that. 
it seems that Johnny Depp is the angle that journalists use for this case um, and that he had like a beef that they kind of beef up, so to speak, with Anthony Fox or vice versa. But it does seem to me um, and a guy who has looked into this pretty extensively, Paul Barassi, who I'll talk about, that Anthony Fox seemed to have beef with quite a lot of people. Um, and we are discussing Hollywood publications like Radar Online because actually that's the place where I got most of this information because they spoke directly to Paul Barassi, who is a Hollywood fixer who has looked into um, the Anthony Fox case at length. I had to wade through a lot of junk and conjecture for this and I'm still very confused about a lot of elements, so I'd be interested in your kind of feedback. In fact, at one point researching this about four days ago, I almost just put it on the back burner and stopped even bothering to try to get information um, because it it was just not there. Um, I So I will be referring to a guy called Paul Barassi throughout this. He's what's referred to as a Hollywood fixer. Um, I sat on my bed earlier to record Everything's All Quiet Saturday morning and now there's a guy who's like whippersnippering outside. I don't know what you guys call it. He went away for ages and now he's back, if you can hear that. So I'll stop in a minute until he goes away. So he had he's a Hollywood fixer, which is basically, if you've ever watched Ray Donovan, which I actually love Ray Donovan, but I've missed the last two seasons. He It's basically someone who is paid to cover up the dodgy dealings and bad deeds of Hollywood people to maintain their public image. So he had pushed for a new investigation for a number of reasons, which I'll talk about. And he uncovered a bunch of stuff by pushing the Ventura Police Department to look at this again. In short, he looked into it because he was hired by Amber Heard's lawyers after their very contentious divorce. And I want to say from the outset, because people want to see me trip up or say something nasty about one person or another in this situation, I won't be talking about Amber Heard um, and Johnny Depp's situation at any length. It doesn't pertain to Johnny Depp um, in the year 2000. He didn't even know Amber Heard existed. We all have problems. Um, marriages can be fucked. Um, it should be done and dusted by now. Um, and I'm kind of sick of hearing about it in the news, to be honest. Some people bring out the worst in other people. And I think that works both ways um, in this case. But the reason that Paul Barassi looked into it was because when Amber Heard was trying to dig up dirt on Johnny Depp, you know, arguably one of, from the outset, one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, she, her lawyers hired Paul Barassi in order to look up information on Johnny's past. And Anthony Fox was a name that was thrown into the mix. Now I will get into what Paul Barassi found doesn't really work in Amber Heard's favor. That's probably why you haven't heard about this, but she, I want to say from the outset, and I think this is important, Amber Heard never said that Johnny Depp had said anything to her about Anthony Fox, that he knew what happened to him, anything like that. Um, she had just heard the name on the grapevine and was throwing things against the wall to see what stuck um, with her lawyers. And I think that's important to outline. Um, I never thought I'd be talking about Amber Heard on this podcast, nor Johnny Depp, but here we are. I feel like I've mentioned Johnny Depp before. All right, let's talk about Anthony Fox, the subject of this episode. So who is Anthony Fox? That is a good question and one that I've asked myself many times this week. 
His full name was Anthony Vivian Fox. Yes, Vivian is a men's name. V-I-V-I-E-N, his middle name. Um, and according to the Charlie Project, he was born on the 22nd of August, 1948. So when he disappeared in 2001, he was 53. And if alive today, he would be 73 because we just passed the 20th anniversary of his disappearance. He does have a NamUs listing, a Doe Network listing and a Charlie Project listing. And on NamUs, he's listed as five foot five. 126 pounds which is around 57 kilos so small dude um and this is the first problem there is nothing distinguishing about anthony fox he was a white guy small wiry guy um skinny i would say from the one distant shot of uh, we have of his like body he had grey hair, but he was bald on the top, so he kind of had it just on the sides and blue eyes. That's the first issue. The second one, which keeps coming back to me as just super weird, um, is that there's only two photos of him out there. If you're listening on Spotify, the episode photo that's featured is the better one. Both of them are older pictures. They look like they're from... The one on Spotify looks like the 90s. Um, that looks like the more recent one. The only other picture is a distant one that they often zoom in on to use. And it's him and his mother. And it looks like it was late 80s, early 90s. Um, so I will put those in the Patreon and on the website. But this stood out to me for a number of reasons. One of them being that he is listed as aside from being a part owner in the Viper Room or, you know, majority stakeholder, he's also listed in one publication as a somewhat sometime actor. Now, when we get into Anthony's personality, I don't, it just doesn't gel with me um, for a number of reasons. A, there's barely any photos. Um, and it's not because the year 2001, they weren't photos. Um you know, my mum has more pictures of her at three years old in 1957 um, than this dude, you know, does across the whole internet. Um, there's photos of people. <laughs> it's just very strange to me. Um, and when there's an article about him, the photo, because there's just no photos of him beyond the Ventura Police Department one that they use, that's the Spotify episode one I've chosen, Um just very strange. Um, I don't, I just don't, he just doesn't strike me as an actor. Um, some people can just be business people and be kind of low key, but considering it was an ongoing case that he had in the courts with high profile people, you would think that there would be more out there, especially as it was happening over the late nineties, early two thousands, right before recording this, it, occurred to me, I don't even know what accent he had. Um, he was a British citizen and his mum lived in London, but I can't tell you if he was born in London. Um, he had seemingly had residency in the United States, but he was a British citizen and regularly talked about moving back to the UK, according to a couple of sources. So I don't know if he had a British accent or an American one, whether he'd been there long enough to have cultivated a, you know, more California accent. I just don't know. According to Radar Online, which sadly is the only publication that really discusses his 
passed in any capacity. Anthony held a British passport and British citizenship, which does make me think he was born there because his mother was a woman called Maud, um, without the E, M-A-U-D, and she was in fact a very wealthy British socialite um, based in London. Little was really known about her and Anthony's relationship or anything about her until recently, um, and she's been dead for quite a while, which we will get into. But seemingly, despite a lot of flaws that he had, Anthony was her favourite child. She had another son called Charles, um, and she regularly bailed him out of issues that he had in his finances and business, um, and potentially allegedly could have helped him to cover up some, you know, shady dealings as well. So Anthony had a one daughter with an ex-wife, I believe, and about 50% of sources call her Amanda and then 50% call her Constance, two very different names. Now, I kind of get the feeling that her name is Constance, but at the time that Anthony disappeared, she was 17 and maybe they gave her like an alias, you know, to cover up her name because it was like a Hollywood case and they didn't want people harassing her. So she was a she was 17 from what I can find when her dad vanished. And from what I could kind of deduce from what Radar Online was saying, she was living with him at the time that he vanished in a house in Ventura, which is kind of north of Los Angeles City proper. Um, the reason that I say that I think she was probably living with him was they kind of mention, which I'll, I'll mention later on, that when he went missing, she had to go live with other people. So he had an ex-wife called Judith, who I feel like I know better than Anthony through this. And I, there's not a lot about Judith out there. And I can't tell you if she was Amanda or Constance's mother or whether or not Amanda slash Constance came from, you know, another relationship that he had. I also can't tell you how long he was married to Judith for. So M-E-A-W-W, which I actually have seen used as, like I've used it as a source in other episodes as well. Um, it's like a kind of news website. They have him listed as on top of being a businessman and majority stakeholder in the Viper Room nightclub, that he was also an actor and producer, which is, as I said, another reason why I just find this whole thing very hinky because he there's no there's no credits you know and a couple of place a couple of movies that are credited looking into them he's not listed as being in them so by all accounts a life in LA does not mesh with what people know about Anthony and what I kind of deduce about his character People described him as weird and eccentric um, after his disappearance, quite secretive, um, and he often exhibited extremely odd behaviour. In the past, he had gone off the grid, which I don't consider odd, but he, it was odd in the way that he did it, or he disappeared for periods of time before popping up again. His family to me seems strange as well. I'm going to go through a bit now about them, courtesy of his ex-wife, Judith, who spoke to Radar Online and a number of other publications, including Hollywood fixer um, Paul Barassi, who's looked into this extensively. Um, so 
according to Judith, he he was part owner, or they call him a majority stakeholder in the famous Viper Room nightclub, which I will be talking about a little bit in a bit. Now, I found a source that said that he owned 49% and Johnny Depp owned 51 This was just some random guy on Twitter, though, so I can't... I'm not entirely sure because my belief is that there was probably five or six different part owners in this nightclub, and I'll get into that more, why I think that. A lot of this is just deduction, kind of um, what I read into things that people have said. Despite like kind of being a majority stakeholder in the Viper Room, by this stage, I think the Viper Room was a little bit on its way out. Um, and Anthony regularly had financial issues that his mother seemingly had helped him or bail him out of. It seemed to me that his life seemed to be a facade in LA of covering up like a rapidly crumbling mindset. His mother in London, she had a very expensive flat full of very expensive stuff, artwork, antiques in the very posh borough of Kensington in London. Um, And he was one of the primary beneficiaries of her money and property for when she died. Um, But he actually didn't stick around long enough or live long enough to see her die. She died a couple of years after he disappeared. So in one way or another, even though things were seemed kind of maybe dire um, to Anthony, his financial situation, because he was suing Johnny Depp for millions of dollars. Um, it's a horrible thought to think, but he wouldn't have been broke forever unless he was really bad with money because ultimately, you know, he was going to get all this money from his mother. But that's, I also just want to say, that's easier said than done. You're not just going to, when you're in that mindset, say, oh, things will get better when they die. You're kind of like in the moment. I need to fix this now. Judith, Anthony's ex-wife, had claimed that when they were together in the past and married, he had hit financial problems before. And when this had happened in the past, he had told her that he planned to return to the UK and leave the US. And then he did something really weird. Basically, according to Judith, he staged what appeared to be his own abduction. He just dropped off the grid completely. He, she couldn't get a hold of him. There was no idea where he went to. She said he staged his own abduction. His apartment was totally trashed. Um, and he disappeared. So it looked like something had happened to him at the hands of someone else. It took a few weeks, um, but eventually Judith was able to track him down and he was at some random woman's house who she doesn't name who it is. So that's a very strange thing to do. Um, He basically had no explanation for why he did what he did. He just wanted to escape his problems. And the reason that that's important is because it kind of shows that he's done that before and it's in his nature to do strange things like that. Judith does suspect that something very similar happened in December 2001 where he would disappear for good and that was 20 years ago. She said that when he ultimately would vanish for good in 2001, which we will talk about, 
she did immediately go to the Ventura Police Department, who was still handling this case even today because that's where he lived. Um, and she told them about the previous time that he had seemingly staged a robbery and an abduction and then bailed and it turned out he was behind the whole thing. And she said that the Ventura Police Department wouldn't listen to what she had to say at the time. So she just ultimately had to let it go until Paul Barassi came around a few years ago, started asking questions, um, and that's when she was free to talk about it. And we'll hear more from Judith a bit later. So, Anthony Fox is listed, as I said, as a majority stakeholder of the Viper Room. And as I said in the opening, I do want to say that there's no confirmation of the capacity in which he knew Johnny Depp, famous people in Hollywood, or to what extent. I can't tell you if they were best mates. Some people are silent partners in businesses. But the way that these Hollywood publications or The Sun or The Mirror or The Daily Mail, they always need that headline to hook people in. Um, you know, and it worked because I'm doing this case now because of an article by them. Um, they always have to make it sensational, you know, and below the surface, who knows, they could have only met a couple of times. Just because you're a majority stakeholder in a business doesn't mean you hang around the business all the time. Um, people can buy stakes in businesses that they never even visit. You know, that's the way of the world. Um, but it seems that he owned like 49% to Johnny Depp's 59%. Now, at the time he went missing, he was suing five people, including Johnny Depp, which makes me think that the, that's not the right, you know, um, percentage that some random guy on Twitter threw out because it wasn't just Johnny Depp that owned, you know, a share in it. There was a lot of them. But because those people aren't household names, Johnny Depp is going to be, you know, made the headline. Um, so... The Viper Room. Most of you will probably have heard of The Viper Room because I love Hollywood. I love old Hollywood going back to, you know, the 30s, 40s and 50s. Um, and I love, you know, 90s Hollywood. Um, this was kind of right up, you know, my alley. And that's why it made me a little bit sad seeing that it had been sold and it won't be there anymore. But I think it's kind of done its stash in terms of, I don't think people really go there anymore. But at the time that Johnny Depp bought out the Viper Room, it was the place to be. So the building itself is at 8852 Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, or as locals call it, WeHo. Um, this is a very famous part of Los Angeles and pretty much any tour that you'll do in LA will take you past the Viper Room. A lot of people comment, you know, it looks like shit now. It's got a very, the the exterior of it is just black with one of those kind of archways over it. I don't know what the word for it is. Um, it's nondescript, but at the same time, you know, it's the Viper Room at the same time. But everybody I know who walks past it just says it's just, it's the whole area is just trash now. Um, and the building looks, you know, decrepit, but it's got that history behind it. So originally when the building was built, um, it, the, Hollywood was just coming along in terms of you had, this is where I'm winging it just in case, in, um, 
you were transitioning through from, you know, silent film into what they called talkies, which, you know, where you heard people's voices. And a lot of actors who were silent film actors did not transition to talkies well because when people heard their voices, they were appalled. Um, some women or men didn't have the right voices for movies. But Hollywood was called Hollywood Land, um, and more and more people were flocking there, you know, as part of the movie industry it was you know a time of great consumption um and it was right before what was called the Hayes Code was brought in so the Hayes Code was basically in the 1930s before that there was quite a lot of um sexual connotations and things like that in film the Hayes Code is really interesting to look into but it went on for decades basically but it was basically a very like puritanical um, law that was brought in where you couldn't kiss, you couldn't allude to things in film. Um, there was no more kind of drinking wildly and Mae West type of stuff in films. Um, Hollywood went down like a very puritanical route for a time. So in the 30s and 40s, you started to see more, you know, buttoned up stuff. But actually, if you look into film in like the 20s and 30s, you'd be actually like shocked because people, women were wore very low cut dresses and they were very almost modern. Um, this is just me winging it because I, I really love like classic Hollywood um, and the different stars. And actually in a couple of weeks, um, we'll be talking pretty extensively about one of them. So Hollywood, um, Sunset Boulevard was becoming quite a destination, but actually the, the building that the Viper Room now is, um, was actually a grocery store in the 1920s. So during this time in Hollywood, gambling was illegal in the city of Los Angeles, but it was legal in what was considered unincorporated areas and West Hollywood, which Sunset Boulevard falls onto when Sunset Strip is part of Sunset Boulevard, somehow fell into the unincorporated loophole where it was legal there. So just for this, you know, 1.5 mile or 2.4 kilometre strip, anything went. And with that came all, you know, the gangsters running um, their kind of nightclubs and strip clubs and um, it kind of, you know, people went there to have fun, um, gambling parlours and things like that. So that went on for quite a while and then things stalled, you know, a little bit um, and a lot of the Hollywood films and things that came out in the late 30s, early 40s, um, we were, you know, America was at war and a lot of the movies were kind of very patriotic and things like that. But in the post-war 40s, you know, there was a boom in Hollywood um, and basically, you know, um, this is when the pin-ups that you would know, you know, uh, Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield and, um, you know, Bette Davis and all of that, you know, kind of had their heyday. So, post war 1940s Hollywood it felt like when you read biographies of famous you know stars it feels like everyone you know <clears throat> moved you know James Dean and Marlon Brando they all came from you know uh you know Kansas or Nebraska and they grew up on a farm and the 
the silver lining of their life was they were going to go to Hollywood, you know, and make it. And post-war really um, was optimistic in terms of the war was over and they were going to have a boom. They were still in the Hayes Code until the late 60s officially, um, but things, you know, felt a little more relaxed, you know, because money talks. Um, as a result, you know, I think by this stage, gambling and, and drinking, you know, were legal. So there were more clubs popping up across Hollywood and LA. Um, and in the post-war 40s, the what was a grocery store at the Viper Room site became its first club. And until, you know, when it became the Viper Room in 1993, for decades, it would have all these different iterations as it was bought out and given different names and then, you know, they would go bust and on and on it went. My personal favourite name, looking into the history of it, was in 1969, um, a very kind of hectic year in Hollywood, really. It was a club and it was called Filthy McNasties, which I personally would have kept. Now, Flash forward to 1993, um, and this is probably how you would know about the Viper Room. Um, Actor Johnny Depp, who was 30 at the time, he opened the club um, and renamed it the Viper Room. His plan was to make it a hip, cool destination, but very quickly it kind of became a site for some sordid deeds and it kind of went the opposite way to what his intention was. He initially opened it with his co-star from 21 Jump Street, which was before my time, just, um, Sal Jenko. He opened it in August 1993. Now, Sunset Strip, which the Viper Room is on, is one of the most famous household street names in the United States, if not the world. And it stretches 1.5 miles. The Strip is only part of Sunset Boulevard. Um, but by 1993, it was full of bars and clubs and famous hotels and shops and bright lights. Other notable landmarks that have called the Sunset Strip home include the famous Chateau Marmont Hotel, which is still, you know, very popular um, destination. Uh, you know, people go there to recuperate. Um, apparently very haunted. The Comedy Store, which Joe Rogan never shuts the fuck up about, um, the Whis- which was also opened by Paulie Shaw's mum, which I think is really cool. They always talk about her. The Whiskey A Go-Go and the Roxy Theatre, which is still there um, and one of the most famous theatres in the world. It still looks the same to this day um, and it has, like a, as I said, a black exterior. It's very unassuming but also quite dark. Johnny Depp by this stage was a budding movie star. Um, I was going to say earlier, in the 40s when this became a nightclub for the first time, to be a movie star was a big deal. Um, these days, you know, there's fucking YouTubers and influencers and stuff that are making every day what stars would take, you know, a year or two to make. But that's why I love 50s, you know, 30s through to 60s Hollywood because you really had to have that star quality and that's why you just remember the names and they're so iconic. Elizabeth Taylor, Vivian Lee, um... Greta Garbo, uh, Ingrid Bergman, they're, 
they're iconic and, and they're all gone, you know, but they were stars. Um, and they all had really daggy names. Sorry, that's an Australian word. It's like dorky names, but they took on, you know, their stage names. But by all accounts, you know, I remember him, he's an institution of my childhood and maybe my adulthood. Johnny Depp was a star and he's arguably one of the biggest actors ever. He was 30 years old. He was hot off the back of kind of a pin-up boy push that he really wasn't happy with. I'm also winging this part because I used to be a big, like, Johnny Depp fan. He came from Kentucky, um, single mum, raised him, did a lot of really dodgy kind of shitty jobs leading up to getting his break on 21 Jump Street. Um, And because he was such a good-looking, almost striking, he's got a very unique look, especially when he was younger, um, He people gravitated towards him. He was also super cool. Everyone you know, considered him the coolest guy around, but without being a tryhard, he was gorgeous without doing anything, you know, just looked gorgeous regardless. Um, And he was also very intelligent and softly spoken and articulate. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that have, why people have always, you know, really liked Johnny Depp. So hot off the back of being what he considered like a product um, where after 21 Jump Street, his agents would, he'd be on posters, you know, as a pinup boy. He wasn't happy with that because it's it's not who he was. He's a unique kind of creative soul. So he started making alternative films, which I'm sure a lot of you, you know, are already thinking of just the breadth of movies that he's made and how different they are all are and I've I've honestly other than The Tourist which is just one of the worst movies of all time most of his movies are just you know incredible and so diverse he can be anything 1993 <coughs> he was um he'd just done What's Eating Gilbert Grape one of my favorite Johnny Depp movies Edward Scissorhands, um, and, you know, he kind of started a decades-long collaboration with the director, Tim Burton. To this day, at the moment, he's 58 years old. He's one of the highest-grossing actors of all time. All of you have probably seen 20 of his movies without even realising it. I think he's made 50 or 60. My personal favourites are Gilbert Grape, um, Blow, Secret Window, because I'm a writer, um, and I, I love Stephen King. Um, Chocolat, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because I love Hunter S. Thompson who Johnny Depp was uh, good friends with to the day Hunter S. Thompson took his own life, RIP, and a movie called Benny and June which no one ever talks about and I loved it growing up and if you love Benny and June let me know. Early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So he he bought out the Viper Room as I said with the plan of making it a cool hip hotspot uh, and if you look up pictures of him at the time of the Viper Room, he was going out with Kate Moss off the back of going out with, you know, Winona Ryder. Johnny Depp was like always engaged to someone new. He was engaged to Sherilyn Fenn at one point. Um, you rarely see someone other than Amber Heard uh, talk shit about him. They generally say he's like a gentle soul. Of course, things change as you get older um, and he had always suffered with alcoholism. He's been pretty open about that. Um, and he did quite a lot of drug use, particularly in the 90s. 
until he ended up with um, his long-term partner, Vanessa Paradis, and he, he became quite, like, mellow. He moved to the south of France. They had kids. One of them is a model now, um, Lily. Uh, the other one's quite private. But at this time, he had been arrested uh, for scuffles with paparazzi. He was very guarded about his privacy. Um, and I think the biggest thing that had happened was he was arrested for trashing a hotel room. Bear in mind, he was 30. He'd hit the big time. He had all this money. And, you know, sometimes you have more money than sense in, in that regard. So he bought the Viper Room and the opening night, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played. Johnny Depp seems to know everyone. Everybody like he's it, it should be six degrees of Johnny Depp and not Kevin Bacon because Johnny Depp his friendships have always really fascinated me. Um Hunter S. Thompson, who kind of created what is called Gonzo Journalism, um, and killed himself uh, quite a while ago. Um, his books are incredible and Johnny Depp somehow ended up being friends with him through the making of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, lived with him. Um, and when Hunter S. Thompson took his own life, um, Johnny Depp ended up with his ashes. And according to Hollywood law, he, he Hunter S. Thompson wanted his ashes shot out of a cannon like over a hillside and Johnny Depp did that. But he was friends with Tom Petty, so Tom Petty and his band played on opening night. And later on, they would go on to have all kinds of acts perform there. And then in the 2000s, the Pussycat Dolls kind of revitalised the Viper Room a little bit because they had a residency for like six years there before they even made it famous as household names. They were, you know, a burlesque show. So it quickly became an early 90s hotspot for the Hollywood cool kids after it opened with Johnny Depp and his business partners at the helm. Now, I can't tell you if Anthony Fox in 1993 was a business partner because nowhere does it say when he came on board as a stakeholder. But I kind of presume it was around around the early days, the first couple of years. Unfortunately, with the influx of Hollywood cool kids and the paps staking out the place out the front and there was always something going on that would end up on the front page of a tabloid and drugs and deaths and we'll get into it disappearances related to it added to the Hollywood law Johnny Depp and his team because I'm going to say that it wasn't just him who owned it um but he was there quite a lot because there's so many pictures of him and Kate Moss there and him and his mates it was only open for about uh two months uh when River Phoenix died on Halloween 1993 Halloween night, which is quite haunting. He was 23 years old. Um, it's well worth like reading about the history of River Phoenix. So I've read a couple of bios. Uh, he, I think most of you of a certain age, I was quite young when he died and I kind of group him together with Kurt Cobain in terms of memories of deaths, but he was a child star who's you know, along with Keanu Reeves, who was a good friend of his, he he had really hit the big time after being in movies like Stand By Me and things like that when he was a teenager. He was a very creative, gentle soul who'd had a very demented upbringing, um, along with his brothers and sisters, one of whom is Joaquin, who most of you will know. Um, at His parents 
moved around a lot, particularly through Central and South America, and they were members of what's called the Children of God cult. Now, last podcast on the left does a really good multi-parter on the Children of God cult. It's incredibly fucked. Um, I was thinking at one stage, you know, I'd do it because they moved around a lot, America and then Central and South America. But it it basically um, allowed the rape of young children. And according to Hollywood, you know, or pe- people in the know who knew River Phoenix, um, he, women of adult age were having sex with River Phoenix when he was five years old. Now, if you wonder why that family's strange, um, look like kind of read about their early days, that's why I'm not a huge fan of either of their parents, um, things that I've read about them. Um, and I'm glad, you know, that most of them have gone away unscathed, but if you read into it, you'll understand that River Phoenix was already on a very dangerous path. And I don't think it just came out of nowhere, what happened to him on Halloween night, 1993. So I'm just winging it with this information now, but he was at the Viper room. He was friends, you know, with Johnny Depp. He knew him. Um, I don't know if Johnny Depp was there that night, to be honest, but I do know that Christina Applegate was there because Christina Applegate at the time was a bartender before she was on Married with Children, um, kind of made it big after Married with Children. She had to go back to it for a bit. Um, She was watching on as this happened out the front. So River Phoenix went into the bathroom. He took something. He came out. He started freaking out. He was there with Joaquin, his brother, who was 19 at the time, and his then-girlfriend, um, River's then-girlfriend, Samantha Mathis. Uh, he started freaking out that someone had poisoned him or, you know, given him something bad. He went out the front and he started having um, seizures on the pavement in front of, you know, shocked people walking past and lining up to get into the Viper Room on this busy Halloween night. Now, if you want to ruin your life um, and every Joaquin Phoenix movie you'll ever watch from this point on, um, go and, like, you can listen to Joaquin Phoenix call 911. It's one of the worst worst calls you'll ever hear. Um, I've never watched anything and not thought of it since I first heard it, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. Um, just the sheer desperation in his voice. Uh, he's such a young guy losing his best friend and knowing what was happening um, and trying to convey that to them, but trying to call from a payphone because it was 1993 um, and just that desperation of please, please come, you know, come and save him, you know, he knew that it was over um, and River Phoenix died there, you know, that night. Ultimately, it turned out that he was given a speedball, which is a combination of cocaine and heroin. They never got to the bottom of who gave it to him. People really closed ranks, but Johnny Tepp, despite them not thinking he gave it to him, um, he was never suspected of that. He copped a lot of flack because he was the face of the Viper Room. And so the place had only been open for a couple of months when this happened. And really, after that, River Phoenix became synonymous with the Viper Room. Um, and that's why I really can't stand a lot of ghost hunters and shows like that, because as you know, we'll get into people they seem to really profit off that. And I don't think if there's an afterlife River Phoenix is hanging around the Viper Room, I think he's, you know, with his family. So a lot of people started out as bartenders and waiters and 
things like that here, Christina Applegate um, and the lead singer of Counting Crows. I can't think of what his name is, Adam something. So the 90s were its peak and sadly Phoenix's death kind of started to kill the vibe. But it also added to the Hollywood law and more people came just to kind of be sticky beaks and take photos where River Phoenix died on the pavement out the front. Johnny Depp's initial hope for the bar to be a hip hot spot soon gave way to dodgy dealings and a ton of drugs. And I honestly don't believe that Johnny Depp wanted this for the bar. Um, I don't think he wanted this for his own image and I don't think he meant badly it was so big, the Viper Room at one stage, that Viper Room clubs, which already existed across the world with the, you know, nightclubs that had the name the Viper Room already, were contacted, you know, by the owners of the Viper Room and sent cease and desist letters to change their names. I'm talking clubs that had been open for decades. There's actually one in Melbourne. And from what I can find, it's still open. I remember it was buzzing about 15 years ago um, and there's also a really shitty challenge on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here called the Viper Room where they have to lay in a bed of snakes for like 10 minutes and then everybody gets fed in the camp or whatever. As a result of the dark atmosphere of the Viper Room, the drug, the deaths there, the drug use, the gangster history going back to the 20s um, and just general thuggery going back that far ghost hunters and paranormal types included on ghost tours um, or document evidence of it being haunted one woman who for about a decade sold tickets at the front desk you know entry fee she told the show ghost adventures of what she had experienced there including one of those um, electronic voice recording things they call it the spirit box, I'm pretty sure. And she said she was sure that it was a River Phoenix talking, you know, on it. Uh, she also said a ghost regu regularly texts her. So I'm going to read you that quote. Quote, I've had my hair yanked, a hand on my leg. Oh, yeah, they're grabby, the guy ghosts. But there's a chick ghost too. She was texting me once from a dead number. I'd talk out loud to her and she'd text me a response. She was mad that I couldn't see her, unquote. Now, I'm not totally adverse to like ghosts and things like that. I'm pretty open-minded and I've had some weird stuff happen to me. I am adverse to people making money off it and kind of pretending to hear things that just clearly aren't happening. And this show also had like the spirit box supposedly talk to Anthony Fox, who people think is buried out the back, you know, under the back bar um, and just making up things that were on the electronic voice recording thing that clearly that's not what's being said at all. It's just crackling. Um, I do believe that buildings harness energy and that there can be weird energy in places because bad things have happened um but I also think that when you know that bad things have happened there you're more likely to your, your mind is a very complex thing that's all I'm saying so now we've talked about all that we've set the scene now let's talk about what the hell happened to Anthony Fox before he went missing in late 2001 Anthony Fox did something that would basically mean that the investigation into his disappearance would, you know, spawn a lot of headlines and maybe change the shape of the investigation. So he sued Johnny Depp and four other people over allegations that basically Johnny Depp was misappropriating 
and mismanaging funds along with these other people. Now, when you see it published, it looks like from the headlines that it's just Johnny Depp that he's going after because the other four people aren't household names, so they're not going to sell papers. But when you look into it, he says that his legal case was against five people and Johnny Depp was just one of them. This was to the tune, I believe, of millions of dollars, but you can't get the full breakdown of exactly how he says that the funds were being mismanaged or whatever, but he basically was saying that they were, you know, bilking him out of funds that were his um, and mismanaging funds within the Viper Room. So basically, according to Paul Barassi, the Hollywood fixer, who was hired initially by Amber Heard's lawyers to look into Johnny Depp's past, but it took a whole other turn for Paul Barassi. I found on Quora, someone was asking a question about this and Paul Barassi responded um, under his own name and he wrote, someone wrote something about the case and how Anthony Fox was going to win it and Paul Barassi replied, the judge had it thrown out three times. That's what he wrote back. So I do believe Paul Barassi um, because he's kind of worked alongside Ventura Police in looking into this and the case does remain open um, and they consider Anthony Fox, you know, endangered at risk. But according to everything he found, the judge initially when Anthony Fox had filed, you know, this, it's a civil case against Johnny Depp and four other people. The judge had initially thrown out the case three times. There just wasn't anything in it. And I don't think this is a, oh, Johnny Depp paid off a judge. I generally think like that they looked at it and there just wasn't the evidence, you know, to to kind of go further with it at the time. Now, that would change after Anthony Fox went missing, which is one of the things that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but we will talk about it. So, Anthony Fox's last movements, I honestly don't know what he was doing in the final days before he was last seen on or around the 19th of December 2001. As I said, he was he had his daughter living with him. They lived in Ventura, which is northeast of LA and seemingly where he lived, and also the police department that's still handling his case. According to a handful of sources, he was set to testify by this stage. So this is where the story changes and it seems that it is in fact going to court at this stage. I think there'd been legal wrangling for a while. This isn't an overnight process. Um, so I'd be interested to know what the actual story is. I get the feeling that, yes, he was owed a bit of money, but it wasn't what he was claiming. So he had to go back and kind of him and his lawyers had to rectify the case to then resubmit it, you know, as a civil case with the right information that would fit. So that was on the 19th of December 2001. He left Ventura and he was not seen again. And he's got a 17-year-old daughter at home. So a few weeks later, on the 6th of January, so they've had Christmas, New Year's, that would have been a terrible time for Amanda slash Constance, his daughter, they found Anthony Fox's truck. It was parked in a city called Santa Clara, which is a long way from Ventura and LA. In fact, it's 330 miles from Ventura, which is looking at my phone today for an accurate time. Um, it was about five hours drive north along the coast. And it's kind of as it forms part of 
the greater San Jose area, um, up in the Bay Area of almost Northern California. They found his truck parked on what is seemingly from looking it up, a unassuming side street called Chestnut Avenue. God, I would, how amazing would it be if someone was listening and they're like, I live on Chestnut Avenue, Santa Clara. So I also just wanted to point out, because it's not brought up, but I was thinking about it, that the time that all of this happened was a very strange time in the world, but particularly in the United States. He disappeared, you know, basically three months almost to the day after 9-11. Things were all over the place. Um, Things were really heating up, you know, tension with overseas powers. Um, A lot of resources funneled towards New York City um, and other sites, you know, Washington, um, wherever the Pentagon is, Washington, D.C., um, and the the crash site in Pennsylvania um, and things were kind of really all over the place. But on top of that, I, I don't think people who were too young to remember it because I've got friends who don't remember it at all. But I was in year nine at school. I was turning 15. Um, anyone who's like of a certain age, you know, you always remember where you were. But I think for Americans, it it hit differently, obviously. And I think it really, people were in a very fragile mindset after that. And I think that's kind of important to note when this happened. So Santa Clara is a smallish city in the Bay Area of California, about an hour's drive southeast of the center of San Francisco. It's considered part of Silicon Valley and a lot of big companies, including Intel, have their headquarters there. From looking it up, there's not a whole lot there. You know, there's a university with their big college football stadium. There's an amusement park and, you know, there's two Amtrak stations that seem to kind of service other cities and interstate. Looking at it on a map, it's kind of positioned at the opening of the mouth of the San Francisco Bay. The street that Anthony's car was found on Chestnut Street, looking at it on a map, it's just a random, I don't know what you'd call it in the States, but it's like a no-through road, as we would put it, um, uh, that forms kind of part of a grid of side streets in a neighbourhood called Agnew of Santa Clara. The marina is a bit of a walk down and I'd be interested for someone to clarify exactly what I'm looking at because I really couldn't make sense of it. There's like when you walk down to the Santa Clara Marina on the map, there's these things that are called salt ponds and it's like salt pond one, salt pond two. I don't know if it's a marine reserve. I, I don't think it's somewhere where you're fishing and swimming and things like that. Um, the only thing of note that kind of stood out to me about this area is that it's kind of... Chestnut Avenue is kind of off a major expressway, one of those ones with, you know, so many lanes that, like, panics me um, just looking at it. California, like, expressways. So Anthony left behind several thousand dollars in his bank account. That remained untouched forever and continued to. Um, I ultimately believe his daughter ended up with it. But what he didn't leave behind was of note. So they found his car, but he had a thirty-eight caliber revolver and that was always in his briefcase and that was missing along with Anthony and that was never found. 
So after his disappearance, none of his relatives were questioned by police in Ventura. Um, They didn't contact, you know, his mum in England. It's just a phone call. Either that they weren't willing to or, again, not that anyone has said it, but it kind of made me think maybe resources were diverted to other things in a very new post 9-11 world. He also had an answering machine at home. He didn't have a mobile um, this was probably a year or two before people really started getting mobile phones um, and they never collected the answering machine either which could have held you know interesting information if anyone if he kept his answering machine messages so according to radar online um, his daughter had to move out of the house that she and her dad shared and she had to be moved into quote the temporary custody of a legal representative unquote which makes me think that she didn't have much of a relationship with her mum but I'm not sure if Judith who we've talked about already um is her mum or not and maybe they had a dodgy relationship maybe Anthony got full custody of his daughter after the divorce or maybe you know she chose to live with her dad who knows but we're going to learn some very interesting stuff now. Don't think it's over. I think that's a Crowded House song. So this is where I got confused because Anthony had been missing for almost two years when his case actually ended up going to court. That's the first thing that confused me. I'm not sure who kept it going. I thought that when someone disappeared or wasn't around for something, the case wouldn't go ahead, but it did anyway. And in a preliminary ruling in early 2003, the judge who was handling the case indicated that actually Anthony would win in the case. So that goes against um, what I read Paul Barassi saying that it was thrown out three times. So I'm just going to read you what the judge said, quote, Depp breached his fiduciary duties. The facts established persistent and pervasive fraud and mismanagement and abuse of authority, unquote. So, Ultimately, in 2004, this is another thing that I'd love clarification on. I've gone back and forth over multiple sources to see if any of them word it differently for it to make sense to me. It always just says that in 2004, Johnny Depp turned over his share in the nightclub to Constance, the daughter of Anthony, who then resold it. Now, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, like the the syntax of it or grammatically it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's always the sentence that comes before it is always about Anthony. So did Johnny Depp turn over Anthony's share when they say his share or do they mean Johnny Depp's share? Um, And this is one of the things that I find interesting. I actually think it's Johnny Depp handed over his own share. That's how I read into it. So at least the daughter ended up with something, although I it was all done, you know, behind closed doors. So I don't know what she ended up with. And I don't think that by 2004, the Viper Room was probably bleeding money as opposed to making money. So Anthony's mother, Maud, the very rich woman in who lived in London, she died in March 2004. She was, she was quite old. So she outlived, if you believe Anthony died, her son by about two and a bit years. But it was only recently reported that Paul Barassi, who we've talked about, it's either Barassi or Barassi. It's spelled differently in two different, three, four different places. So 
basically it came out only a couple of years ago that Paul Bressy had started up this review of the case, which I've kind of talked about. And by talking to different people and finally talking to family members of Anthony after all this time, he had uncovered evidence that there's some interesting things that the Ventura police just didn't know until he did this. So the first thing he uncovered was that Maud, Anthony Fox's mother, um, wrote a will in June 2003 and she died the following March. Now, she always kept her wills regularly updated and obviously when something major happens, you update it. The most recent one was, you know, almost two years after her son had disappeared Um, and in that will she does acknowledge that he has disappeared but she does name him as a beneficiary. Now, I don't think this is weird. I, I guess she was making sure that if he did ever turn up because maybe she knew that he had a history of disappearing and then turning up again, she was making sure that he was looked after. He was bequeathed a piece of furniture of his choice because she had really expensive antiques and things and a half share of her estate and it would have all totaled to around £350,000, which I think probably at the time, you know, would have been maybe 700,000 Australian dollars, um, maybe 500, maybe half a million US dollars. Now, her will also stated one stipulation that if Anthony does not appear within two years of Maud's death, his mum's death, his share should be held in trust for his daughter, who's either called it Amanda or Constance. Now, obviously he didn't turn up, so it ended up going to his daughter. So she got Johnny Depp, gave her his share of the Viper room and she got all of that money, you know, from her dad's estate because he he didn't turn up. Now you would think that because he was in such financial ruin, this would be the perfect opportunity for him to turn up, but he never turned up, which is another reason why I personally don't think that he is around or was, you know, for very long after he disappeared. So the other son, Charles, seemingly was not popular with the mother because he only got £55,000. She even gave a niece more than Charles. There was a niece that got £100,000. So I'm going to go through a few things that Radar Online went through in regards to the Ventura police doing their own investigation alongside Paul Baresi. Um, basically just a few years ago um, and discovered new facts. So I think we can kind of thank Amber Heard for, even though she was doing it for her own best interests, to get shit against Johnny Depp, you know, to make money out of their divorce. Um, She ultimately ended up kind of spurring on an investigation that did dig up quite a lot of information um, about a guy completely unrelated to her. So the first thing that Radar Online quoted was, quote, on or around the day he disappeared... Anthony sent a letter to his mother, the contents, sorry, I've lost it and I don't edit because I suck. I just hit the thing and it went all the way up to the top. I'm going to start again, guys. Sorry. Quote, on or around the day he disappeared, Anthony sent a letter to his mother, the contents of which she refused to divulge to his brother, Charles. It is suspected the letter contained vital information, unquote. Now, We do know this letter existed because Maud told family at the time that she had received a letter that was sent from, 
you know, LA on or around the time that Anthony disappeared. And at the time, even though she didn't go into the details of what it said, she's old school. She's not, you know, putting it on social media her whole life. She's an older woman. They kept a lot of shit close to their chest. At the time, she had said to a family member um, that she kind of was sad that, quote, she did not help him more, unquote. Now, it seems like she helped him a lot, but that's kind of a mother's guilt. And that's one more indicator to me that whatever was in the letter was quite final in terms of what Anthony wrote to his mum. And I think Maud kind of knew that in her heart of hearts. But in the most up-to-date will in 2003, she still kind of held out hope that maybe he was still around. So the next thing that Radar Online puts out there that was discovered in this new investigation was, quote, a telephone call answering machine from Fox's home, which could have held important clues, was never impounded and evident- as evidence and has never been located, unquote. I don't read too much into that. Um, Amanda had Amanda slash Constance had to move out of the house and things were probably packed up and um, I don't think that's weird because they only started doing this investigation almost two decades after. I don't... Do you still have your answering machine from 2001? Um, quote, Fox's legal case appears unlikely to have succeeded and several sources indicate he was in financial difficulties at the time of his disappearance. That completely goes in parallel to what the judge said in the pre-ruling. Um, so this is, you know, one of the things that two completely different things are being said. Was it going to go ahead? Was he going to win? Um, I'm more likely to think that he actually wasn't going to, but Johnny Depp giving his share to Amanda was kind of, Johnny Depp had a daughter, you know, at the time. Um, I think it was more of like a, a gesture of goodwill and something nice to do as opposed to something that was legally obligated. He just did it. I don't think he was court ordered to do it. The next point Radar Online makes is, quote, Fox's wealthy British mother had allegedly helped him perpetrate a fraud in a former bankruptcy case he was involved in, unquote. Now, it doesn't go into too much detail on that, but I think she helped him make up creditors that he owed to kind of firm up the fact that he was bankrupt so that he could file bankruptcy. Um, and that's, that's um, you know, bankruptcy fraud. Uh and I don't know if it ever went through. <clears throat> I find it interesting that he was still part owner in a business like the Viper Room and still kind of doing things if he was bankrupt because normally they take things like that and sell their shares to pay back your debts. Uh, they usually, you know, allow you to have your home and things so you're not on the street, but things like that usually are recouped. And they also say, quote, Fox's former wife reports seeing him in Santa Barbara six months after he vanished, unquote. So that's Santa Barbara is a very kind of posh area outside of um, Los Angeles. So I'm going to read you the exact quote from Radar Online because this is Judith talking again. She claims to have seen him in June 2002, which would be about six months after he supposedly parked his car five hours from his home and walked away from his life. 
but I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to kind of say what I think. So, quote, Judith claims to have seen her ex in a Barnes and Noble bookshop in Montclair, California in June 2002. He was sitting in a chair reading a book. She told Barassi that when the man saw her looking at him, he had the he had the look of terror on his face and then he sprung up and sprinted towards the exit like a bat out of hell. She stated that she ran after him and saw him get into a small white Honda car, which she followed for several blocks, taking down the number plate, which she reported to police investigating the disappearance. The car was apparently registered to a woman, unquote. I don't know what to make of this, um, honestly. I mean, it, not that much time had gone by between him vanishing and that happening. You would think that you would recognise someone, but she doesn't sound totally convinced it was him, uh, which makes me think she hadn't seen him for a number of years. And I do just want to say that he's a very nondescript-looking man. It could have been anyone. He looks exactly like a guy who lives next door to me with his family, like, and about three other men that live on my street that I see around. I also just want to say I I would think it was strange to kind of be in the in the vicinity of LA after pulling off a disappearance like that. Why would you drive all that way away to then get closer back further down to LA um as if you wouldn't as it, as why would you do that? Why wouldn't you leave? Why would you stay in such an expensive place? As we talked about with Jeff Dunzavage last week, and we kind of talked about just how impossible it is to stay off the grid. Um, it would be virtually impossible um, without any money. The next point was, quote, Fox had disappeared several years previously for a time and family members confirm he was an eccentric who had an interest in living off grid, unquote. So that's the time that Judith talked about where he seemingly faked his own, staged his own abduction and disappearance for a time, albeit it was only for a couple of weeks, not for 20 years. That's entirely differently. And having an interest in living off grid is totally different to living off grid. I kind of out of personal interest, I'm in a few like online off grid groups because I find the information they share really interesting. And I'd, I'd love to kind of do that as when I'm older, um, and kind of live more self-sufficiently and people have some really interesting life, just random things that they make to take the place of something else. It's crazy. But having an interest in living off grid is totally different to living off grid. It's like travel, having an interest in living overseas when you're actually doing it, it feels totally different to the fantasy of what it would be like. Um, And it doesn't seem like the first time he disappeared, he was living off grid. He was staying with a woman that he knew. But then that does make me think that he had connections with random people that maybe the Ventura Police Department let fall through the cracks. Um, if he was kind of eccentric and weird, you know, who was this random woman that he was found holed up with, according to Judith. And then if you take everything Judith has said out of context and allege that she's lying, then everything, you know, falls apart. So I don't know. The next point Radar Online makes is, quote, Maud's will, that's his mum, written after he disappeared, named him as a beneficiary and bequeathed his share of the $1 million estate to his daughter. Should he not surface by a specific date, it is questionable whether those wishes were ever carried out, unquote. Now, I don't know why it says it's questionable, 
only his daughter would know if that happened and I would have to presume that the mum would have that locked down pretty hard considering how much she was worth. So I do hope that his daughter ultimately ended up getting it. Now, a previous manager of the Viper Room, um, uh, people who know about this case probably know that there's always been a rumour that there's a body buried at the Viper Room and I think that just became like it was a tiny stupid thing someone said that kind of got out of control. But a previous manager who worked there called Macy Jane said that she was told by like, you know, a confirmed source that there was indeed a body buried at the Viper Room behind the downstairs lounge. Those ghost hunter shows have gone there and um, I think BuzzFeed Unsolved, I used to watch them back in the day, I think they went there on one episode. Um, People have thrown around a lot of names in relation to that and Anthony Fox is one of them, but there's just no, just no evidence. Why would you drive the car all the way there and then bury him on the scene? I suppose it's like in plain sight kind of. It's like burying someone in a cemetery after you've killed them. I don't know. I guess that would make sense. Seems ridiculous though. Um, so ultimately Paul Barassi or Barassi, depending on what source you believe, um, he came away from being hired by Amber Heard's lawyers. He reminds me a lot of the guy who wrote Fatal Vision, which is, uh, it's on my bookshelf it's the kind of definitive book about um Jeffrey McDonald who killed his whole family in the 70s and he's still in prison for it and he he claims he didn't do it Joe McGuinness who wrote the book it's a really interesting story he was hired by Jeffrey McDonald's defense team to write a book that basically showed that Jeffrey McDonald was innocent and when he started looking into it and this book is massive I'm talking like it's like I've read it it's like three probably four inches thick. It's insane. Um, he very quickly looking into it, realized this guy's guilty and I've been hired by his defense team. And it became this full on legal dispute where Joe McGuinness, like most rational people know that Jeffrey McDonald did it. He couldn't in good conscience, write that book, um, you know, defending him, you know, so, it reminds me a lot of that in this case because Paul Barassi was hired by Amber Heard's legal team to dig up dirt on Johnny Depp and they threw out Anthony Fox's name and said, you know, oh, his business partner went missing. Not that Johnny ever said anything to Amber Heard about it. It was just shit that they were throwing to hope that it would stick. Paul Barassi goes away, does this massive investigation, um, talks to Ventura Police. They start asking around. Paul Barassi could never dig up anything that said he had Johnny Depp was anything but who he claims to be, um, that he never had anything to do with Anthony Fox's disappearance um, and he only had, you know, good intentions and helped his daughter, you know, with his share after Anthony's disappearance. Just because Johnny Depp never spoke publicly about it doesn't mean anything to me. They were going through like a civil lawsuit. Ultimately, Anthony Fox had, you know, unpaid legal fees because his lawyer had been disputing all this stuff in court for a couple of years. Anthony Fox's lawyer ultimately had to file a lien against his estate to recover the fees. And I don't know if he ever, you know, got it back. I don't know if that just dissipates if the guy never turns up or if it goes to the next of kin, which sadly would be the daughter who, you know, just received this money. 
So now, right now, as it stands, um, I, I've put it here to like make a note of it, but in 2020, if you look up this case, there was quite a lot of buzz in 20, 2020 and 2021 up until just last week because it comes up every time the Viper Room is mentioned and it's now confirmed it's been sold and it will be turned into condos. Um, so in 2020, the National Enquirer, which is considered like the gut, like gutter journalism, but it's not journalism. They literally just make up stuff. It's like sickening. Um, I don't know how they legally get away with it, but they somehow managed to roll on. But as a result of that, no one listens to what they have to say. But they did an article about Anthony Fox. But of course, because there's no photos of Anthony Fox, there was a picture of Johnny Depp dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow, because that makes sense, doesn't it, in the in this case. And the headline was, quote, Pirate Johnny gets dead man off his chest, unquote. So that's the quality, like, that's the quality of journalism we're dealing with here. Punny. And basically the article said that Anthony Fox had been found. Um, And then when you read the article, it says that an unnamed source has been looking for Anthony Fox and believes he has found him and that he will recover him within the next week or two. And that was like mid-2020. Don't ever read the National Enquirer. It's just trash. So why am I bringing this whole case up now? Well, as I said, it's timely, you know, with the Viper Room. I thought you guys would find it interesting. Um, obviously, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp can continue their back and forth. I hope for both of their sakes because Amber Heard just had, you know, a baby with a surrogate, um, using a surrogate, that they can just put it behind them and move on because it's not good for anyone, um, including the public. So, in December 2021, Radar Online reported that, quote, Paul Boresi, the renowned Hollywood fixer, has spearheaded a review of the case, uncovering never-before-seen documents and gained fresh testimony that sheds new light on Fox's frame of mind before he vanished. It now seems almost certain that he either took his own life or tantalisingly disappeared off-grid and is living under an assumed name in another part of the world, unquote. So they go from like zero to ten in the space of ten words at the end of that. So Baresi believes that Anthony took his own life. He believes that he drove his car out there, things were too much for him, um, and that he took his gun. He went out in the middle of nowhere somewhere and killed himself. Now, I don't know why he would go to Santa Clara because it looks quite built up. I'd be interested to hear from someone who lives, like, in that area. Um, Would it be easy to get to, like, Yosemite or something like that from there? This is just from a dumbass who's not fully familiar with the area um, or is that the way you get up to like the wilds of Montana and Wyoming or am I imagining that? But basically the Doe Network says that they have dental records and DNA on file, which makes me think that they've taken Amanda's DNA, um, Amanda slash Constance, hopefully. It says fingerprints unknown, so not sure if they're on file. Now, obviously, the options are that Anthony faked his own disappearance, that he took his own life, um, which is what everything points to with the gun being missing, um, or that someone murdered him um, and hid his body. 
for me, just looking at it from the outside with the little information that I have, there's too much smoke. There's no smoke without fire. And for for me, that points to this guy had a lot of problems. Um, he had a lot of financial problems going back way before he knew Johnny Depp. He was a very strange person, um, very eccentric person. I find the lack of photos, the lack of information very telling. It's almost like he was, he kept a very low profile. I do believe the ex-wife in terms of the strange staged abduction before. Um, and I'm kind of with Paul Bressy on the sense that it just, I just can't see it. Johnny Depp ultimately would have paid him out regardless, as it turns out, because paying Amanda wasn't a court-ordered thing. He just gave her his share. Also, Johnny Depp, we're talking about like a couple of million. I don't know about now because I've read a lot that says he like, he's blown his money on wine and lives with his ex and her partner. I don't know. But Johnny Depp by like, you know, 2005 was worth a lot. I think he's worth like three or $400 million. This is not a whole lot of money for him. Um, and by, according to a lot of sources, this was repeatedly thrown out. So it looked good for Johnny. There's no reason to get rid of this guy in this sense. Also, that's why I keep saying don't just keep focusing on Johnny Depp because there's four other people we never even know the names of because Johnny Depp's just the hook for these journalists um, and unfortunately he's been the hook throughout this this episode as well. Um, I do think that my gut, gut feeling is that Anthony Fox took his own life somewhere far away um, and kind of not really thinking that clearly because it seemed like things were spiralling out of control I do generally do not think people fake their own disappearances long term. Like Jeff Dunn Savage said, you'd have to have a lot of money and Anthony Fox had like none. Um, he'd been bankrupt before we went through all of that. Um, and even then you can only stuff the grid for, you know, a period of time before you run out of money. It's been 20 years. Just the gun being missing, the car, that distance, um, his past behaviour, everything. Um, maybe he just wanted to do it and not do it in the city that his daughter lived in so that that was a memory for her. And maybe in the back of his mind was also the thought that maybe he was going to do it anyway. So he kind of just hoped, well, if I do it and I do it somewhere remote, no one ever finds me, which people do with that all the time. Um, you know, I park it here and then I go to Yosemite or fucking on Yellowstone or some sort of national park and get there somehow. Um, they might, in my absence, tie it to Johnny Depp or someone else and that would be my kind of posthumous revenge in a way. Um, you you kind of understand what I mean. I mean, I'd be interested to know what you guys think. December marked 20 years since Anthony Fox vanished. His case remains open and he's considered an endangered missing person. The investigating agency handling this still is the Ventura County Police Department. Their number from within the United States is 805-339-4357 if you know anything about Anthony Fox. From what I can find, there does not seem to be a reward on offer. The Viper Room is due to be destroyed soon. I'll keep you posted. It's the end of an era. I'll put up Anthony's 
episode page it will be quite sparse of information with the two photos that I do have one of which is a distant one with him and his mum and then they zoom in on it so it becomes really pixelated of his face um it's unknownpassagepodcast.com become a patron it links off the website you can search it on the patreon app um you can there's tiers from one dollar a month through to ten dollars a month or whatever you want there's also a custom tier we can choose what you give a month um that puts a bit of money you know back in my pocket as well as paying for the website um and the ongoing cost of the podcast um if you don't want to become a patron but you want to give a one-off donation to the podcast that would be much appreciated the paypal email is unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com Leave a rating or review if you like the show. Thank you for all your kind ones um, lately. You can also now rate on Spotify. If you listen on Spotify or have Spotify, go to the main episode page for Unknown Passage where it's got the whole list of all the episodes. At the top is like stars. Um, you have to have listened to the show in order to rate a show, which is good. Um, if you have listened to it on Spotify, you can do it. You click those stars and then you choose the five stars. There's no option on Spotify now to leave like a wordy review. But yeah, um, I have moved over to listening to my podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, I can't even open the app now. Just crashes. I've tried on two phones. Um, just done for. Like, can't do anything on it. You just open it, it just crashes. I don't know if anyone else got that. Uh, I don't know what was happening. It was all updated. I recently got like a, my free upgrade to the iPhone 13 and it's doing it on that as well. So I've had to migrate over to Spotify and get used to listening to all my podcasts on that. And now I love it. I don't know why I didn't already because I already listened to my music on it. So I hope that you guys have a good weekend um, and a good week. I'll be back you know, in a week or a week and a bit with the next episode. Um, I've got some really good ones planned. Um, front runners coming up, Sophia's Patreon location request, Hopes, Letitia's, um, you're all on the list. I will get to all of you, Sammy, Nate, Elise, Kristen, Claire, Kevin, Rachel, Lisa, um, Petra, Michelle, Laura, Tia, um, Christine and Colleen and then the ones who are yet to provide their patron location requests are Tammy, Stacey, Stephen, um, Kimber and Candy. Some cool names there. So yeah, have you ever been to the Viper Room? Have What's your kind of LA experience? As much as it's like a hellhole, I, there's something about LA, the idea of it that I love, you know, it's steeped in so much history and and law and um even you know across the world across the pacific ocean you feel like you've kind of been there because you see it so much in so many shows and in pop culture and on posters and things so you know one day i will get there um and one day we'll do like a meetup and that's probably the best place to do it <laughs> So, yeah, um, I don't have too much else to say. I've got my cinnamon's been sitting in my lap this whole time. She loves hearing new stories. Um, she's a smart girl. I hope that all of your kitties and puppies and pets are all doing well. All of you are um, pet lovers. 
So yeah, I will be back. I'm not sure who will be next, <clears throat> but it will be a good one. Um, I've done a few guys in a row, so we'll be going back to um, some horrible disappearances of both men and women coming up. And yeah, I don't have a s- sign off like most podcasts. So um, yeah, I don't know. Don't know what to say. That's not a knife. This is a knife. It's actually, the quote is actually, that's not a knife. That's a knife. But people always always say it wrong. That's not a knife. That's a knife.